Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. We're moving into a, starting a new series uh, on Paul, and Rob is going to share with us this morning. Um, do you want to give Rob your mic? And I'm just going to pray for Rob and for us. No, that's all right. Thanks, guys. Uh, Lord, we, um, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for, we thank you for Paul and for his life and his ministry. And um, Lord, we, um, we, we're excited about what we're going to hear uh, in this series. And I just pray for Rob right now. Mm. Pray that you, would, uh, that you would bless him, that you would anoint him, um, and that you would give him the words to speak. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Steve, Kathy, thank you for leading us uh, so beautifully this morning. I know it's... Um, it's quite an adjustment, isn't it, from uh, the last three months. It feels very lovely and slightly weird to be back in the hall and kind of, you know, there's no children trying to stick their toes into the, the frame. And, um, you know, it's just, it just feels very odd. But it's lovely, really nice. Um, we, uh, we are really excited to be uh, coming back on the 7th of November and to be able to fill this place up and, and see lots of people. Um, so, yeah, just really looking forward to that, folks. Uh, it's been so sweet even just to pray with the team here. The team, if you, you won't know this, but the, many of the team are sitting in front of me, which is kind of nice. So I get some kind of like verbal feedback. Encourage the heckling. That's fantastic. <clears throat> um, a bit of heckling lets you know you're on, you're on the right track. It's when everyone goes silent, then you know you're in trouble. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, one of the things about live streaming is that challenge of just often feel like it's a one-way conversation. Um, so it's really nice to have some of that, some of that feedback. Over the last little while, um, we've been doing a, a series. Uh, we just finished a series last week um, on hearing God's voice. And um, I just want to big, give a big shout out to Adam Smythe who put that series together for us from our evening community. Um, just, it was really great to have um, him inputting in that way. So well done, mate. And it was lovely to have Putty speaking last week. Um, really good to see him, although Putty, your hair's changed a bit. So that's, you know, I'm not sure about the color, but there we go. <laughs> Do you think he's graying or has he actually dyed it? Stay away from that topic. Yeah, okay. Stay away. Um, you know, this morning we're going to kick off a new series looking at the person and the life, really, of Paul. And, one, and there's a couple of reasons we're doing that. One is because Paul is such an influential person in our faith and in our understanding of um, really doctrine, the things that we believe. And, um, you know, so much of the New Testament's written by Paul. Many of you will know that. And so, you know, um, one of the things we have to make sure we do is not detach his writings from his story and who he is, um, because that's a bit like just having a one-way conversation um, when you're just reading someone's writing and, and not really cognizant, not really familiar with his story. So we just wanted to kind of refresh ourselves. We're going to go through the book of Acts over the next couple of months and uh, refresh ourselves on, on his person and his story. 
Um, and when we meet Paul, which we're going to look at this morning, uh, when we meet Paul, he is a, he's a man who is profoundly lost. Um, and I'm just going to put this out there straight from the beginning. I'm going to probably s- slip between Saul and Paul Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. So you just have to bear with me on that one um, and, and kind of <laughs> figure out what I'm trying to say. But um, when we meet him, he's called Saul. And he is, you know, he's a man who is filled with this religious kind of anger and hatred um, towards people, I guess in his mind, who would dare to blaspheme and, and say that Jesus was somehow the Messiah or somehow God. And, uh, you know, we meet him on the road to Damascus and he's there with, we're told, murder in his heart, um, heading out to persecute um, these new Christians. And Jesus finds him and beautifully rescues him, restores him. And uh, he's found by Jesus. And, you know, one of the reasons we're looking at Paul's life is because we never want to forget what it was like to be lost and to be found by Jesus. You know, as a church, that's something we want to hold on to because it shapes the way in which we live our lives and the way that we talk about our faith. Um, many of you have, over the years, shared with us stories of coming home, of, of walking into Northridge. And we, we have that story, too, of walking to Northridge for the first time and just feeling like, oh, I just feel like I'm home. And Paul was a man who was passionate about calling people home not to a particular church but to Jesus and that's something as a church you know we want to be passionate about inviting people home to Jesus so we're going to look at his story and we're going to start with Acts 9 um, and it's a pivotal moment um, uh, really his encounter with Jesus but at the same time just to be fun we're going to have um, Philippians 3 open so if you've got a Bible with you, that would be great. And just kind of put a hand in Philippians 3. Um, I probably should do that too while I'm here. And um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, that's it. Uh, the one before Colossians, if you're stuck like me in Colossians right now. I'll get there. Um, there we are. It's clever to do this with one hand. I'm not sure how it's going to work. We'll see. Um, so... When we look at Philippians 3, we actually uh, read some of Paul's words from his own kind of background. So that's a good place to start. So looking at Philippians 3, we find out that Paul, or Saul, um, was born in Tarsus, uh, which is really in modern-day Turkey today. But he was brought up in Jerusalem, and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, That's important. We'll come back to that later. Um, He describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. Which, when you read it kind of quickly, you might go, yeah, he's a, he's a Jew. But he's actually saying more than that. He, saying Hebrew is, is, in that time, a way of saying he was a good Jew. He was a conservative, maybe traditional Jew. It wasn't just of a Greek origin, but of a Hebrew one. Um, and his parents were also Hebrew. So we're not surprised, really, when we meet Saul. He is this career rabbi, if you like. He's on his way to be um, the most zealous, the most kind of effective at keeping God's law and pure um, as he possibly can be. And he's kind of working his way up. You may remember we meet him um, holding, first of all, we meet him in Acts, and he's holding the coats of the men who are stoning Stephen. 
So he's kind of making a mark right from the beginning. He actually studied under a guy, a guy called Rabbi Gamaliel, who was, uh, I guess, according to Jewish tradition, one of the greatest teachers in history of Judaism. So he you know, still had a bright future ahead of him, if you like. And then uh, that all changes. <laughs> and let's pick up. We're going to read from Acts 9, uh, from verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And then we go on to read that uh, there's a disciple in Damascus called Ananias, who Jesus appears to and says, go, go and pray for this guy who was coming to kill you um, and uh, persecute the church there. And Ananias, you know, it's one of our favorite bits of the story is that Ananias kind of goes, but Lord, uh, but he eventually goes and he prays for Saul, who receives his healing and uh, he receives the Holy Spirit. And, you know, in all of that, <clears throat> Paul has this profoundly powerful encounter with Jesus. Um, I'm not sure if I'd want such a powerful encounter with Jesus, but he had a very powerful encounter and it changes, it changes the whole direction of his life. When I was about 13 or 14, I, um, I went along to a gathering, a soul survivor gathering in the UK. And up to that point, I had known about Jesus. I'd grown up in a Christian family. Um, I always kind of loved God. And I'd made a choice, actually, at quite a young age. I think I was about eight years old to follow Jesus. And so kind of was like, yeah, I consider myself a Christian. But it was that was the first time I remember when we were in time of worship and prayer and somebody was praying for me that I I can recall actually ever experiencing Jesus, encountering him, because, uh, you know, I, I, I actually sensed him. I could, I could feel him impacting every part of my being. I could feel him physically and, and emotionally. And there was such a strength of power and love that I experienced. Um, and as, I've, as I kind of shared that with people and they've shared their stories with me, I've gone, oh, that's, that's what a lot of people experience, isn't it? When we, when we actually have encountered Jesus, many people talk about there's a, a strong, not just a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling, but there can be a strong sense of God's power and love just flooding over us and, and filling and touching every part of us. I think I was on the floor for a long time because it was quite like overwhelming. And that experience of God changed 
the whole direction of my life. I remember after that time, I kind of, every time I picked up the Bible, the words would jump out of the page at me. And every time I met someone, I was like, oh, I need to tell them about Jesus. Like, I just, you know, it's kind of like, a, oh, this is something I know and I have something I've experienced and they need to experience. It. I don't care what, you know, what they think about God. I've got to tell them about it. And there was a, there's a kind of a direction now that kind of like has over the years, it's tempered a bit, but the actual direction of our life changed uh, for, from that point on. And I love this quote from um, A.W. Tozer. He says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because when we experience God and he changes the, uh, the very direction of our lives, as he did with Paul, that is the, I guess, the moment of encounter that we want to call people to. Paul um, not only has a powerful encounter with Christ, he actually has an intimate one. When we look at Philippians 3, he will write later in his life, and I, I love this. Um, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and so on. He, and, you know, that, that passage there, I kind of just spent a little bit of time looking at that because he uses this word, I want to know Christ. And that word there, know, isn't just, and you probably heard this before, it's not just a an intellectual knowledge of something or of someone. It's to know completely and absolutely. I think the definition I found was this, to know absolutely in a great variety of applications and with many implications. I love that kind of like just in a huge breadth of it that goes deep in our lives. It's actually a word that the New Testament writers would use to talk about Joseph and Mary. You know, Joseph didn't know Mary until after she gave birth to Jesus. So it's, it means to be intimately aware of. And later in the Gospels, it said Jesus knew what was in their hearts. So it kind of means like to perceive and to understand. It's important because actually when Paul writes that, it's coming from this encounter. You know, this encounter where Jesus singles him out. He speaks to him and appears to him, and only he gets to see the risen Christ. And, uh, you know, and then there's this quite humbled but intimate exchange, really, between him and Jesus. And he's, um, I don't know, you get this feeling like Jesus kind of shepherds him in, you know, by sending Ananias and bringing healing and then giving him a whole new purpose. <clears throat> that was certainly one of the things that I experienced when, you know, after that encounter that I was telling you about, because I remember coming back into my uh, kind of my youth group setting, which happened to be at the school where I was a, a boarder at. And I remember kind of really just wanting to experience more of God and and share that with people that I was with. And I went to see the chaplain who was in charge of the, the Christian group. And I said to him, you know, like, 
really, really want us to kind of experience more of God's power and more of God's spirit. And he said to me, now, Robert, he said, now this group, it's meant to be like a shop window into the Christian faith so that, you know, people can, which sounds very reasonable. But I just said to him, can we just go into the shop now? Like, come on. Like, when do we get to go and experience this stuff? And because, you know, there's a passion that comes for that. And and it's about a desire for more of God. And uh, he and I never really quite saw eye to eye on that. But that, that's another story. Um, because I think the question is this. Do we, are we hungry and expectant for intimate encounters with Jesus? And do we, like Paul, do we long to know Jesus completely? One of the wonderful transformations that we see in Saul's life after this moment is um, it's seemingly a kind of bit small, but it says a lot about him. And he changes his name, as you'll know, to Paul. Saul is a name that is given to him after the first king of Israel. Um, you might recall King Saul, who was a tall, he was a head taller than anyone else. Um, and was very handsome. So I kind of, I totally get how he felt. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, and he's also from the tribe of Benjamin, just like Saul. And his name actually kind of signifies in Jewish tradition, like the great one. And Paul literally means the little one. If in Roman times, when um, they did this strange thing, sometimes they called their children the same name which I think would get very confusing in our family. So it'd be like having Rob Giles and Rob Giles, like that's exactly the same name. But in order to signify which one was the younger or the lesser of the two, they'd add on the name Paul or Paulus. So it would become like Rob Paul Giles. And um, so literally Paul has taken a name, which means I'm the little one. And now Christ is the big one. You know, it just, it just tells us, doesn't it, so much about his identity, this new identity. From that moment on, Christ is the big one and he is the little one. And it shapes his whole value system. Um, I love this in looking again at Philippians 3. It says this from verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, who's for, who's, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I think the question for us and the lesson for us in Paul's, from Paul's life is, who is the, who's the big one? You know, who's the big one in our lives? Paul's example is that of radical discipleship. And, you know, I've really been aware that the last, I'd say 18 months really, not just the lockdown, but, you know, the in and out of it um, has been a real trial for us. It's been a trial for us as a church, but I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about us as people, you know, for the, us as the body of Christ. It's, it's been... Um, a trial that God uses. 
I've always been really inspired by stories from the Chinese church, the underground church in China, particularly through the 80s and 90s. And if you're interested in kind of reading about that, I'd recommend reading something like The Heavenly Man or um, I think there's another one called Lilies Amongst Thorns. There's just some amazing stories of what it's like to be a Christian in a place where you couldn't gather together because you're afraid that if you did, uh, the, the, the authorities would come and arrest you. So not quite what we've experienced, but certainly um, a time of trial for them. And you know, one of the things that is so encouraging from those stories is just how they showed such commitment and dedication to their relationships with Jesus. Because really, you know, in that environment, and I think this is true for us, you can't just cruise from Sunday to Sunday. You may not know when you're going to next meet with, with the church. And our faith needs watering and feeding. And, I, you know, I think this season, this trial for us has meant that if we're going to last, we've had to dig deep. We've had to commit to times of, of reflection on the scriptures, to times of prayer, maybe worshipping alone with some music in the house. And, and for, particularly, you know, if you're the only one in your family who's a Christian, that can be a real challenge. And I just, I wanted to say, well done. Like, I think there's been, God's actually really sharpened us in this time. And for those who I think probably are still here with us, that's, a, that's an evidence of the fact that we've dug deep and gone, let's keep going, let's keep pushing in. And, you know, one of the wonderful things that often you, you pick up on those stories from the church in China is when they got to meet together, there was such a great joy. And, you know, there's such a deep love for any fellowship, for someone else who, who is willing to, to follow Christ and to take up the cross and follow him. And such a hunger for the, just the sweet presence of God. And, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of that. Uh, I guess what God's been sowing in us in this time, coming out. And um, as our love for him and our love for each other increases. So I'm going to lead us just in a time of ministry now. I'd love to invite you guys. You can do this here as well. If you want to um, just stand with me and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit come, to come and we'll see what he wants to do. Oh, Lord. Well, we welcome you now, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are present here there, there, and everywhere that we're meeting, watching, just listening to this now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. just got a sense that he's um he's here to heal this morning 
So if, um, I'm just going to make it really simple. If you know that you need some healing today, can I encourage you just to put a hand on your heart? Or, or if you've got a particular part of your body that's in pain, just put your hand on that. Or if, or if you're with someone who could do that, just ask them to do that. Thank you, Lord. So we invite you, Lord God, to come now and to bring your healing touch. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Heal our bodies. We command all pain to go now in Jesus' name. We declare your kingdom this morning. Thank you, Lord. Let it come. Thank you, Lord. Earlier in the week, one of my youngest kids was doing a spelling test online during a Zoom call, and uh, he just got left behind, and there was a lot of tears and frustration. And I, I guess it just reminded me that um, I, I got a sense, the Lord pointing that out to me this morning and wondering if the folk feeling a sense of frustration and helplessness, maybe even in your faith. You know, as we've logged on, we've watched each start, watched the services and so on. Sometimes it can feel so impersonal. And I just what, I got a sense the Lord wanted to just come and know, be known personally today so Jesus we invite you to come and sit with us to be present with us Lord you are the purpose of our faith so we welcome you come place a hand on our shoulder that we would know you're near Lord hmm The other thing I just felt, um, there's a beautiful verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And, you know, as I'm talking about that kind of expectancy, hunger for Jesus... I think for some of you, you've gone, yeah, I have that longing, but it's been deferred. <laughs> you know, like it's like, oh, and my heart is sick. I'm kind of like, I want that, but I'm, my heart is sick because it's kind of been put down and put off and put out in so many ways and times. And I, I just felt the Lord wanted to come and minister to you this morning. So, Lord, we give our hearts to you today. Only you can renew. Only you can give us a new passion, a new hope. Lord, we trust you once again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just see him blowing onto our hearts. Just reviving them again. 
Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Amen.